Welcome to the sermon audio for Tri-City Chinese Christian Church and our English ministry. We meet on Sunday mornings at 11.30 a.m. at the Kyle Center. And so if you are in the Port Moody area, you are more than welcome to join us. Since this is our first time recording an in-person one, the audio is a little muffled um, from movement on the microphone, and we will be looking to experiment with some microphone placements to improve the audio a little bit. But here is our message in our series on Galatians in Galatians chapter 1 and 2. All right, so uh, this morning we're going to start uh, a series, at least a series for when I am going to be speaking to you. Guest speakers maybe will jump in, but from the sense of it, I think they're just going to keep doing their (laughs) own thing. Uh, from the conversations I've had. So next week, uh, Pastor Will will join us as our guest speaker, and he's going to continue on in Jesus and the Pharisees, which he spoke on to us, I think it was the second week of August, if I remember correctly. So he'll continue on that. But when I'm speaking, we're going to go through uh, the book of Galatians. So if you have Bibles with you or Bible apps that you want to open, feel free to do so. Uh, to the book of Galatians, you can choose what... Um, translation. Uh, I'm reading from NIV, New International Version, if you want to follow along with the actual words you're hearing instead of trying to reconcile two different versions together, what you're hearing when you're reading. Uh, And I'm titling this uh, series, Who's In? Because it's kind of the main question that Paul is addressing to the Galatians uh, throughout the book. They're trying to figure out how to identify who is a Christian, who is not a Christian? What are the requirements needed to be able to call yourself that? And so that's why that's kind of the question he's focusing on. He talks a little bit about different things throughout the book, which we'll touch on. But that's the main theme. So that's why it's called Who's In? That's basically the question the Church of Galatia is talking about. And so every week we'll go through a chapter. Today, I'm going to be honest, might be a little bit longer because we're going to hit chapter one and two. So we're doing two chapters today. So just if you're prepared for that. I try to keep messages around 20 to 25 minutes. Uh, this one might be closer to 30 to 35 minutes, but I hear that you're all used to that anyway. John John's like, whatever, I don't need okay. <laughs> but that's why we're in my uh, And for an introduction to Galatians, uh, Paul actually gives us a pretty good introduction right off the bat. So we're gonna start in chapter one, right at the very beginning, verses one to five. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, or, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of, God, of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So ancient letters structured slightly different than our today, I say letters, but who writes letters still today? Our emails today we'll go with. When we do our emails, we'll go dear, if you want to be really formal, or hello, or greetings, I don't know. And then the name of the person that you're writing to, then we'll have the body of our letter or email, and at the end we'll write sincerely, or thank you, or thanks, or whatever, and then our name, who it's from. Ancient letters deal with the to who and from whom right off the bat, uh, and we see that right there with uh, Paul. So we see that right away our letter is written by Paul, who is an apostle. So we have 
Paul, who is probably the most influential person in the New Testament, just behind Jesus uh, himself. He writes a bunch of letters. He's an up and, he was an up-and-coming member of the Pharisee party, so the Pharisees that Pastor Will has been talking about. Uh, he was rising in the ranks of the Pharisees, and he was taught by one of the top two rabbis or teachers during that time as well, so he was uh, in very prestigious ranks. And he was so zealous for Judaism that when he heard people preaching about this Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior, he was persecuting them, arresting them, and killing them. And eventually he decided to go do that in Damascus. When on the road to Damascus, he has a dramatic encounter with Jesus. And he ends up eventually showing up in Damascus, actually preaching about Jesus, preaching the very message that he was going to uh, arrest Christians for. And he identifies himself as being called to preach this to the Gentiles or non-Jewish people, basically, as Gentiles. So that's who wrote this letter. And it is addressed to the uh, churches of Paul. There's Paul. There's Paul. Uh, it's written to the churches of Galatia. So Galatia is actually a province within ancient Rome. Um, and so this letter is to be passed around from city to city and the churches within those cities. So your main cities uh, in Galatia are Pisidian, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. And Paul's first uh, journey to these cities where he first tells them about Jesus is told in the book of Acts uh, chapter 13, verse 13 until 14, 20. So if later, if you're really feeling up to it, you want to see a little bit more context about the people that Paul is writing to, you can go to uh, Acts 13 to 14 and read about his times in those cities. Galatia is in what would be uh, a portion of modern-day Turkey. And so since it's in Asia Minor, uh, most of the Christians that he's writing to in this time are mostly Gentile Christians with a few Jewish Christians sprinkled in there, but a predominantly Gentile uh, audience. And in our passage, we also get a sneak peek at what Paul is going to address throughout his letter. In his introduction, actually, let me go back to his introduction. There's two uh, different emphases in his intro. First is right off the bat, he says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ. So he's going to talk a little bit about his apostleship in the letter. And the second emphasis is uh, that he says, uh, where is it there? Uh, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. So he's going to dig in a little bit on that as well, uh, especially in our first two chapters here. So as we move into our next section of verses 6 to 10, he's going to talk on um, the, the second point here, Jesus dying for our sins. And we see it's under, in the New International Version, the section says, no other gospel. So we're going to read that part next here. I, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we've already said, so, I now, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? 
or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So usually when Paul's writing uh, in his letters that we have in our Bible, he will do his greeting, which we read, and then he'll go into like a time of thanksgiving. And he'll thank God for the church, and he'll praise them for some of the things they do well. But not in Galatia. He jumps right to the point in Galatia. He's very passionate about this thing that he's going to write to them about. And we see right away that it is um, about the message that he's preached to them. There's someone who's been coming in after Paul has planted these churches and is preaching a message that's contrary to the one that Paul had preached to them. Paul had preached to them what he introduced before, that Jesus came and he died for their sins to rescue them from this present evil age. That age being the time where sin and death reign over us. But now, that's no longer the case because of what Christ has done. Faith in Christ, uh, that he has overcome death, allows us to overcome the reign of sin and death. That's the message that Paul preached. But now someone's coming in and adding something to his message. And Paul doesn't fully address this addition until the next, until chapter 3. But we'll touch on it so we can get some context in. There's a group that's come in that scholars today now call the Judaizers. They could have come up with a word that was easier to say out loud, but that's what they picked. So the Judaizers. And they've come in and they've told these Gentile Christians that Paul hasn't preached to them the full message of Jesus. That Paul had trimmed his message down, and what Paul had left out was the need for these Gentiles to be circumcised. And that they needed to do that in order to fully become Christians. This is what uh, uh, New Testament scholar Scott McKnight says. He says this. It can be inferred that the Judaizers had tried to convince the Galatians that Paul had trimmed his gospel to the bare essentials in order to court their approval. So that Paul had preached this short message and didn't mention circumcision because he wanted to make it easier for the Gentile Christians to accept that message. Which is fair. If you had to add circumcision to your conversion as an adult male, a little tough message to swallow there. Uh, and so this is what um, has been added. And this is also why Paul kind of goes on that rant where he says, am I trying to please God or am I trying to please people? Because these Judaizers are saying that God, or that Paul, had trimmed that message and left that part out because he was trying to be a people pleaser to make it easier for them to accept the message. But Paul is firing back and he's saying that he didn't trim the message. He preached the entire message in full to the Galatians. And rather, it's the Judaizers that are coming in and adding something to the message that isn't part of it, and therefore making it a false message. And Paul is dismayed that the Galatians would so easily just quickly turn to that other gospel that someone's adding, that they would so quickly turn to, oh yes, we do need to become more Jewish by being circumcised. And then Paul will move on to address the second part of his being an apostle. Because it seems that the Judaizers were questioning Paul's authority as an apostle. So that goes back into verse 11. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. 
I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the tradition of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia. Later I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they praised God uh, because of me. So Paul is filling out uh, his brief introduction here, that he was one who was sent not from men nor by man, but by, by Jesus himself on the road to Damascus. It was Jesus who came and met Paul and transformed him, and it was God who spoke to Paul when he went to Arabia and gave him the message that he preached, the message that he preached in full to the Gentiles when he first came to them in Galatia. And it's, so it seems from what Paul is addressing here that these Judaizers that came in were questioning uh, Paul's authority, where the source of his authority. They're claiming that it came from the apostles in Jerusalem, these fine-looking gentlemen here. That uh, Jerusalem is the headquarters now of the movement, just because that's where Judaism is headquartered to, and Christians at this time just see themselves as part of Judaism, but uh, the fulfillment of it in Jesus. And so they're claiming that these guys are the ones who gave Paul the message that he's preaching, and that it's these guys who called Paul an apostle. And the big point is now these people, these Judaizers, are coming in, and they're saying that their authority is also from these people, and that they were sent by these people to fill out Paul's message with circumcision. So Paul is making sure that they know that his message didn't come from these guys, that his message came straight from God. And he makes sure he stays honest in his story. Yes, I did go to Jerusalem, he says, and I did talk with Cephas, who's another name for Peter there. Uh, and I met with James as well, who's in the middle there. Um, but it was only after three years. So he had already been preaching the message that he preached to the Gentiles, uh, to the Galatians, for three years before he met with his leader. And that same message is the one he preached to them. So Paul has made a very bold claim. He has received his message directly from God. If someone came today and said, I have a revelation directly from God, from no other influence, straight to God to me that I'm now sharing to you, we'd probably be skeptical, right? We probably should be skeptical of that too and check it against the Bible here. But that's the claim that Paul is making. And so how does he back up this claim? He points to his own story. He points to his own radical transformation that took place in his life. He says, I was quickly rising up the ranks in Judaism, even though I was so young. He was so passionate about the religion that he was arresting and persecuting Christians in Jerusalem. And he was so passionate and zealous for it that he decided arresting Christians in the main city of Jerusalem wasn't enough. He had to go to another city to do that there too. And so he traveled to Damascus to do that. And then all of a sudden, he shows up preaching the message that he was persecuting. And he's saying it was only God who could have brought about that great transformation in me. 
So that's where he's pointing. He's pointing to his own radical transformation as proof that God has given him this calling, this apostleship, and this message. But now he's going to start building more on this point. And uh, he's going to start trying to undermine the message that these Judaizers are saying about um, where they get their authority. And he does it in the next section here. It was then after 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders I presented to them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. The matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who are held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been meaning to do all along. So Paul's defended his message by saying that what he preached to the Galatians was the entire message. He didn't leave circumcision out. The circumcision was never part of his message. And he's shown that that message came not from Jerusalem, but from God himself. And now he's showing that the Jerusalem leaders approved the message that he had preached and that he received from God. The Judaizers are saying that their message of Jesus plus circumcision is the message of the Jerusalem leaders. And Paul is saying, no, that's not the case, because that's not what they told me. So, uh, he makes it to the point in a couple ways. First, he says he'd been preaching another 14 years before he went back and presented the message he was preaching to the Gentiles, or to the Jerusalem church. 14 years is plenty of time to firm up that message that you're preaching and reach it all over the place in the known world. Um, so, there wasn't any other influence coming from then he says he met uh, privately with a few of them, shared the message that he'd been preaching, that message that he preached to the Galatians, and they too affirmed and acknowledged that this is a complementary message to what they had been preaching. Therefore, it's orthodox, it's right doctrine, whatever big theological words you want to use. It was a good message, it was right. And he makes very clear that the message he gave did not include circumcision for Gentiles because he brought this fine young gentleman with him, Titus. Titus was a Greek who traveled with Paul uh, in his missionary work. Titus will eventually become the church leader of the church on the island of Crete um, and is the one who Paul writes a letter to, Titus in our Bible here. And because he was Greek, he was not circumcised. His circumcision was really only practiced by Judaism during this point, maybe smaller groups would. But mostly, if you were circumcised, people would know that you were Jewish. And it was Rome with Greek influence. Somehow people ended up being naked a lot. <laughs> so you would be able to tell who was circumcised and who wasn't. And Titus was not. 
And this group that's very similar to the Judaizers at this time said, hey, if Titus is going to be a Christian, especially if he's going to be a leader in this movement, he needs to be circumcised, is what they're saying. But Paul says none of the leaders, uh, Peter, John, James, the main leaders, made Titus get circumcised. And since none of them forced him to, then obviously the Jerusalem leaders don't see circumcision as necessary. And so that means that the Judaizers here in Galatia that are telling you Gentiles you can circumcise are just straight up lying to you. They did not get that message from these leaders that they're claiming that they did. But Paul is still not done laying out his relationship with these apostles as we come into chapter 2. When Cephas, or as we've determined Peter, Cephas and Peter are the same person, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? So uh, Peter comes to Paul's hometown of Antioch, and while he's there, he's regularly eating with the Gentiles. And this is a major point because the Jewish people had a very extensive set of food laws. There was food that were considered clean, which means they could eat, and there was food that were considered unclean, which means they weren't allowed to eat. And so a big reason that during this time, uh, Gentile, or Jewish people would not eat at the same table with Gentiles is because they couldn't control the food that they were eating. If they were eating with Gentiles, it means they were probably eating food that was considered unclean, that was banned by their religion. And uh, I totally get the sentiment from the Jewish people. It's just, it's just easier not to eat with them. In my old youth, youth group, I had a girl who was allergic to gluten, allergic to sugar, and allergic to dairy. I was like, well, what do you eat? <laughs> like, seriously. So getting a snack for her was nearly impossible. It would have just been easier not to give anyone snacks, which is a big no-no in youth group, right? And I know you guys have told me that you really appreciate food. Uh, it's a big no-no to say, no, we're not ever having food at any of our gatherings. Luckily, her mom would pack her snacks that she could and bring them with her. Or uh, a little bit more of a personal example, I have a friend of mine who is, uh, has, is gluten-free and vegan, mostly because of health stuff, but also by choice stuff as well, which makes it me, who eats gluten and is not vegan, very difficult and not a very good cook. I have a very limited amount of meals that I know how to make. Uh, makes it very difficult for me to know what to either buy for her or what food to make for her when we have her and her husband over for dinner or for board games. Uh, it would just be easier not to do those things. But, you know, I like hanging out with them, so I'll make the effort for them. So I get the point of Jewish people not eating with Gentiles because they can't control that food system. And in Judaism, there's three big practices that are really important to them during this time, and it's circumcision, the food laws, and then Sabbath. And these are super important because they're the three most obvious things out there. That if, like I said, 
the Roman Empire, for some reason they end up being naked every time they sport. They do. If a Jewish person's out there, it's very obvious they're a Jewish person because they're circumcised. It's very obvious that they're not eating the same things that everyone else is eating. And then for Sabbath, it's very obvious that they're not working on the Sabbath day. So these were very important practices for the Jews because then you could tell who else were Jewish people and it was like a witness of their faith to the rest of the people. But Peter and Paul both knew that these food laws, uh, in this case, were abolished by what Jesus came. That they weren't distinctions anymore. And so when Peter came to Antioch, which was mostly Gentile, he ate with all the Gentile Christians, no matter what foods were on the table, because he knew that Jesus, in Jesus, the food laws weren't important anymore. But then some conservative Jewish Christians come, uh, and... Uh, they're the same kinds that are advocating that the Gentiles need to become Jewish in order to be saved, just like the Judaizers in Galatia are. And Peter feels, fears their disapproval and so starts disassociating himself from the Gentiles. And uh, theologian N.T. Wright shows why this is so important. He says that eating with people is one of the most powerful symbols of association. Just as circumcision is a symbol which speaks of family identity, so is table fellowship. But now Peter has stopped eating with people because he fears this conservative Jewish party that's come in. And he's not meaning to send this message, he's not intending to send the message, but the message he's sending by that action is that the Gentile Christians are second-rate brothers and sisters. He's probably not aware he's sending that message, but Paul is aware that what Peter is saying by stopping and not eating with the Galatians anymore is that for the Gentiles, or sorry, the uh, Gentiles to be fully accepted into the faith, they need to be Jewish, is what Peter's telling them. Now we're going to go back to Scott McKnight. I'm filled with quotes here because there's some good ones here. Scott McKnight says this There was now, in effect, two churches a kosher church, which means um, people who follow the Jewish food laws are kosher. So there's a church that follows Jewish uh, food laws and a Gentile church. The symbolic rupture of dissociating from fellowship with the Gentiles by not eating with them was severe, too severe for Paul, and he set out to correct those even wrong. Uh, another guy, William Barclay, puts it even more plainly. He says, a church ceases to be Christian if it contains class distinctions. And that's what Peter has done unintentionally by separating himself from the, Galatians, or from the Gentiles. Getting those two words confused a lot here. Uh, from the Gentiles. Uh, he's making two churches, basically. And uh, Paul is not willing for that to be the case. In our final section here, Paul is going to now lay out a little bit more theology of this. He says, We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. 
Paul and Peter are both Jews that found Christ. And in turning to Christ, they recognize their old traditions, their old ways of life, were unable to save them from sin. And were unable to save them from the reign of death, this present evil age that Paul talks about in the introduction. They recognize that in the act of Christ, and his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension to heaven, that that is what saved them. And their faith that Christ's action was enough to save them, it's what did it. And so they feel free to eat with Gentiles, even though kosher food might not be on there, because Christ has broken down that barrier. They feel free to not enforce circumcision on these new uh, Christians who are Gentiles, because Christ has broken down that barrier. The food laws and circumcision were acts of law and weren't necessary for salvation. They couldn't bring salvation. So then Paul asked the question that actually many of the Galatians are asking at this time. What does that mean about morality? Can we do anything that we want? And again, Paul's not going to really touch on this until like chapter, I think it's five, that he touches on this. But we'll give a little spoiler that what he's saying, and it points a little bit to his story too, is that when we come to Christ, we put our faith in him, we are transformed. And it's through that transformation that we start living in the way that Christ wants. So it's not an external set of laws. It's a transformation in our life. Just as we see in Paul's story, his story is his life is dramatically changed when he meets Jesus. And we'll dig more into that in like I think it's chapter five, if I remember correctly. But the importance for Paul of salvation by faith, not salvation plus circumcision, or, sal- or sorry, Jesus plus circumcision, or Jesus plus um, food laws, is seen in this very last line of the chapters here. Uh, if we could be saved by being, uh, if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. If we could be saved by being circumcised, if you're male, uh, or be, by following food laws, or following any parts of the law, if that was, if we were able to attain salvation through that, then there's no point in Jesus dying on the cross, because we could have just done it ourselves. And that's what, for Paul, is at stake here. If you're adding circumcision, you're adding food laws to what is considered necessary to be considered a Christian, then you're saying that Jesus' death and resurrection wasn't enough to save us. And he's not willing to give it on that point. So that's our first two chapters of Galatians. But now we got to ask that, what do we do with these chapters? Because, you know, circumcision today isn't really a religious point. I mean, it still is for those who practice Judaism, but you're not necessarily circumcised for your religion anymore. It's whatever health benefits or whatever your, your parents have decided, basically. So what do we do with it? Three points for you. First, this is a classic three-point sermon here. I don't mean to do uh, First, power of your story. Oh, there's a theme of what we talked about this morning uh, at Sunday school. So Paul backs up his claim of authority and the power of his message, the source of his message, by pointing to his own story, because he recognizes that there's power in his story. And the more you read Paul's letters, he often refers to his own story to give the point that he's trying to give, to give an example of what this faith looks like. So there's power and there's authority in your own 
story, which is a little bit what we talked about this morning, too. Your story is a powerful story because there's God at work in it. And it's the kind of thing that can draw others to Christ. It's the kind of thing that can uh, encourage others who are already following Christ to keep following Christ or try different things, grow closer in their faith. So know the power of your story. Recognize um, or uh, I encourage you to share that story with other people and uh, to keep coming to Sunday school uh, where we're developing that because there's there's power in our stories. So that's the first part. Know the power of your story. Uh, second is where are we putting up barriers? We have this whole story of Paul confronting Peter about the barriers that Peter was unknowingly putting up that was preventing Gentiles from feeling fully a part of the Christian community. So this is a call of uh, reflection in this way as well for us both individually and as a community. Where are we putting up barriers that prevent someone from coming in and feeling fully a part of this community? Or we can also think uh, of for ourselves, like what are barriers that we have approached here that have kept us from feeling fully a part of this community as well? And I want us to be able to be honest about those things. And I want you to be able to come to me and say, hey, Mike, this is a barrier that I've been seeing. Either I've experienced myself from feeling fully apart or experience or think that someone else might experience coming in and then working together to try to bring down some of these barriers. So that's point two. Point one, power of your story. Point two, where are we putting up barriers? And the final point is what are we adding to the message of Jesus? And this can kind of be similar to barriers, um, but more in an expectation. So both what expectations are we placing on others to consider them to be Christian? Or maybe we are adding expectations to ourselves that we need to meet certain criteria outside of just placing our faith in Christ that labels us as Christians. Are we saying to ourselves or to others that we need to be reading our Bibles every day, we need to pray every day, we need to attend church every Sunday, we need to attend the church event that there is, uh, in order to be considered Christians, because any of those checklists that we're adding are lies. By adding those things that we also need to do this and this and this and this to be Christians, to be saved, we are saying that Jesus' death and resurrection is not enough to save us. Those things kind of flow naturally out of uh, our transformation, which again we'll talk a little bit more later. So those are our three applications the power of your story, where are we putting up barriers to our community, and what are we adding to the message? Um, I'm going to close us here in prayer, or this time in prayer, and then uh, John John will come and uh, lead us in uh, worship. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, really, we thank you that these early churches, as much as sometimes we made the early church an ideal or that it was the perfect church to go back to, that they were quite messed up as well. And although they may have had difficulties in that, we've benefited from that in our New Testament. And we can see your work through the stories of people like Paul and Peter and James and different apostles and how they were wrestling with these same issues that we wrestled with today. And we thank you for 
And we pray that we could hear your word today and find ways in which we can apply it and make it meaningful to our lives. And so in that, we pray first that we would be open to your transformation, that you would fill us with your spirit and you would transform us into being more like And we would have those moments of transformation, those moments of significance that we can point to say in our story, this is what God has done for me, and this is what I think he can do for you. May you give us eyes to see and ears to hear any of the expectations that we're placing on ourselves or others that are lies, that are from you. May we be able to see any barriers that we as a community or we as individuals are, are putting up that are preventing from other people from seeing you in our community. I pray that we be open to all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.